This podcast is a production of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church. Mount Calvary exists to proclaim the saving word of our Lord Jesus Christ in its truth and purity and to equip you, dear Christian friend, with the knowledge, skills, and abilities to live a fruitful Christian life, enjoying the peace, love, and forgiveness that Jesus has won for you. Today's class is a starting point Bible class focused on life's big questions. Enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody to our third session here tonight of Big Questions. And tonight the big question is, how do I fix this broken world? And so that acknowledges a number of things. First of all, that the world is broken. And then what are we going to do about it? How are we going to dwell within this broken, fallen world? And we'll go to God for the answers to that tonight. But first, let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have made this world, you've created it, and you continue to sustain it and watch over it. And yet we know, Lord, that there are difficulties, there are problems, things are not the way they should be. Help us to see the reason for that from your Holy Word. Open our eyes to the depth of the danger and also the depth of your love for us, that you would you would rescue us from this broken, fallen world through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask for your presence and your power to be with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at, start off with the stuff from last time. So were there any questions? We had the This We Believe at the end, which is a nice summary from our church body of different things. And if you read through that, which I'd encourage you to, even if you didn't get to it already, but uh, at the end it talks about things that we reject, theories about um, the world, theories about nature, theories about human nature, and actually we'll, we're going to address some of those in our, our lesson for tonight as we look at God's Word. But let's look at the true-false questions. They're on page 5 of the last lesson. You have an outdated version, yes, sorry. Um, so, the true-false questions from last time. So here we go, number one, true-false Human beings and dinosaurs existed at the same time on the earth. True. True. Now, I do have a slash false because the Bible does not definitively answer that question. I tend to lean towards true because God created everything in those six days. And um, an option, though, that someone could have to say false is that God created the dinosaur bones in the earth. Kind of something for us to find, something for us to explore. And like the stars, you know, he put them in the heavens for us to explore. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that premise, but I think it, it makes sense that they were here on earth and, uh, and they've died out over time. Um, every society on the planet, I don't know if you knew this, every society has like a dragon-like creature in their mythology, you know, whether it's China or South America or North America or Europe, everybody has this sense of like large, gigantic lizards, <laughs> you know, and so, okay, 
is this a remnant of this these dinosaurs that you know passed on in stories you know scare the kids and <laughs> keep everybody from traveling around at night it's it's possible in job yeah in job there's a there's a poetic leviathan who is a gigantic creature that that god is in control of even the most gigantic creatures the psalms have the same picture and so it's debated is that really describing like a huge dinosaur or is it a poetic device to say think of the biggest animal you can think of god's in control of it so that's where there is some debate on it. But yeah, there are sections of the Bible that talk about that. And that's why I tend to lean toward they were here on earth um, and they died out. They, they were killed off. You wouldn't want the, the, the T-Rex, you know, bouncing around your neighborhood. So you'd go out, you'd hunt them, you'd kill them. And, um, and then you don't have Jurassic Park on your hands. So. Well, I think, I mean, main point of number one is that there isn't like some prehistoric you know, like Mesozoic era. Yes, yeah. The the yeah. The the <laughs> earth is not billions and billions of years old and there wasn't a time where human beings weren't on this earth other than those first five days of creation. On the sixth day God created man and woman and they are the crown, they're the pinnacle. They ruled over the whole creation, dinosaurs included. Okay, number two, each day of creation could represent a longer period of time. False, right? False. Now, sometimes we'll say, oh, back in my day, we did it this way, right? And so day as, a, as an expression, even in Hebrew, can mean like a, a period of time longer than 24 hours. But in Genesis, what we read last time, there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God is making it clear there's a period of light, a period of darkness. This is a normal 24-hour day. And that's why we would say it, it, it can't represent that without doing violence to the text, changing what scripture means. Um, okay, number three, science and technology deserve our thanks for the material comforts we enjoy. False. False. Who, who really enjoys the, the thanks? Oh. Yeah, yeah, God does. He, he's given people the ability to to produce, to have these amazing technological advances, but it ultimately goes to God. And I think, you know, you can appreciate the things God's given you, so true is a possible answer, but preferred is false. Um, and that's why these these are really interesting, because there's a preferred and a possible, and it, it's great. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, number four, God made man to look like God in the beginning. Fall. Oh, why do I have true there? It's false. Yeah, that's false. I'm sorry. False. What's the image of God? That's false. That's false. Sorry about that. The image of God. God made man in his image. Is it the appearance on the outside? Yeah, it's the holiness on the inside. That's the image of God. Yeah, I apologize for confusing you up here. Yeah, it's the inner likeness of God. That's important. Okay, and then number five, God is still creating things today? False. On the seventh day, God rested from all the work of creating he had done. So preferred answer is false. Possible answer 
is true. Why would I say possibly true? Okay, yeah, there are new things being born, new people being born, the animals, plants, but it's really not new in the sense of out of nothing like he did at the beginning. Because in those first six days, he created out of nothing what we see. Now he's creating through things that are already here, the matter that exists in our bodies, gets passed on to our children, they grow, so on and so forth. So, yeah. Okay, uh, number six, the world is evidence that God exists. True, True yes. Um, the, that, the Bible says that everyone is without excuse. Everyone should be able to recognize that God exists, that there is a God. All of this order, all of this, this whole universe is proof of a creator, an, an orderer, um, someone who put it all together. Even the idea, if you think about it with science, that there are laws of science, implies that there's a lawgiver. Somebody had to make those laws. The, the world isn't just a random you know, chaos. It has laws, and because of that, we know there's a creator. So that's true. Okay, number seven, this world is evidence of God's grace toward us. False. False, yeah. Now, what is grace? Anybody remember? Undeserved love. Undeserved love, yes. Grace is undeserved love. So when you think about the grace of God, we think specifically about Jesus Christ undeserved love displayed to us sinners in our lost, corrupt condition. That's God's grace. And we don't see that if we look at the stars or beautiful Mount Shasta that I saw as I was driving up from Sacramento today. You know, we don't say, wow, um, God sent his son to die for me. We got to learn God's grace from where? We'll talk more about this, but it comes from the Bible right here, the word of God. That's where we learn God's grace. Okay, number eight, theistic evolution downplays God's almighty power. Uh, We didn't really talk about this one. Theistic evolution is the idea that um, God started it and then evolution takes over. So God started it and then over billions of years, evolution took over. So does that downplay God's almighty power? Yes. Yes, it kind of, it's trying to have it both ways. It's trying to be religious, but also scientific, and and it just doesn't work that way. Um, Number nine, the first humans enjoyed a good steak every now and then. False. Oh, false. They missed out on the delightful joys of (laughs) bacon and uh, T-bone steaks. Yeah, they were vegetarians. God gave them the green plants for food, and that was okay. Um, After the flood, that's when God gave Noah and his family the kind of the privilege, the right to eat the meat, which is interesting because there were only like how many animals on the earth, you know, like we just saved this cow. <laughs> Can we eat it now? <laughs> you know, but that's what God did. Okay, then answered the book of Genesis to be literally true. True, he did. He, and that's what we're going to see tonight as we read about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Literally true. And then 11, public schools that teach evolution are teaching a religious philosophy. True, they are. Because evolution answers the questions, why am I here? Where did I come from? Um, You are an animal. You are here because human beings uh, have survived millions of years of 
of uh, tribal warfare. And so that's your purpose. You don't have a purpose. You're just an animal. So evolution actually teaches that philosophy to kids. And we're going to get into some more of that tonight, that the humanistic philosophy and where that comes from and how it seeks to take God out of the picture. Okay, so tonight, how do I fix this broken world? Uh, let's open up our Bibles, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at Genesis chapter 2. So we read Genesis 1 last time. We're going to get into Genesis 2 this time. And we have to kind of um, think about a, a question here, and it's an age-old question. In the beginning, God created the world, and on the sixth day, you remember how he described it? It was... Very good, which means it was perfect, there was no sin, there was no evil, there was no suffering, there was no pain. It was very good. Now that's very different than the world we have today, right? So what happened? right? And this is actually getting at kind of a philosophical question that we see in our world. Everything was beautiful. Adam and Eve, they're living in harmony with nature, there's no problems, Nothing's, everything's very good. And yet, now what do we see? See war, see death, we see suffering, see broken relationships, pain, see natural disasters, this world that's kind of in turmoil. You know, and it's 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 a it's a tough question. Um, if God is good, why all this bad stuff? If God is in control, why all this pain and suffering? And death, and it's it's a deep question. We're gonna we're gonna come back to this. It's called the problem of evil. Where why why is there evil? Where does this come from? What what is going on in this world? And it's it it's why is it broken? You know, we can recognize that this is the case that the world is broken and 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 it's it's painful to live here at times. Um, but how does that square with a God who's supposed to be good and all powerful? And that's the, that's the tension that we're going to kind of explore tonight. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 7. So always easy to find the book of Genesis, right? Okay, um, verse 7, I'll read here. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So Genesis 1 is the overview Genesis 2 kind of zooms in on God creating Adam and Eve. So how does he create Adam? From the dust of the ground. Like literally takes the dust, forms him into a man, and then breathes into him the breath of life, which is different than what he did with the animals. With the animals, he just spoke and said, let there be creepy crawlers. Let the air be filled with birds. And it happened. But here he takes special care with man and actually breathes into him a soul. So man has a soul. Animals? Do animals have souls? No. no. That, that's one distinction that the Bible makes. God wants us to take care of his creation and uh, be responsible with creation. But animals are different than people in that regard. Animals don't have souls like people do, and it goes back to the very creation here. God breathes into Adam this breath of life. Okay, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, the Garden of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, 
trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So two trees, very important there. Uh, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. So, here is God talking to Adam and Eve, creating Adam, hasn't gotten to Eve yet, and he gives one command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one command that God gave to Adam. He makes this garden, Puts him in charge of it, verse 15. Puts him in charge of it to work it and take care of it. So there's no, the the, the devil hasn't come yet. And Adam has a job. And work doesn't stink. Right? It's what comes next that's going to make work difficult. But work, doing things, that's not bad. Right? That's good. Work can be good. It's, It's useful. It makes you feel good about yourself. Um, but that's the issue. Now, why does God do this? Let's think about that for a second. Why does God plant? He's got two trees in the middle of the garden. One is the tree of life. The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says you can eat from any tree, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? One command. He's got one commandment. Not ten commandments. One commandment. Why? Okay, this is an this is this is Adam and Eve's altar. This is where they can worship God. He has just created this amazingly beautiful world for them, given them all this stuff, and now he says, "Here's how you can honor me. Here's how you can worship me. Here's how you can show that you're thankful and that you put me first in your heart." Don't eat from this tree. That's how Martin Luther described it. Martin Luther said this is Adam and Eve's altar. That they can listen to God, obey God, worship God at this altar. That refraining from it, actually not doing something, is how they would show their love for God. Uh, It makes you think, actually, in the New Testament, how Jesus said, if anybody wants to meet my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So sometimes going without something is one way to show your discipleship and your worship of God. Okay, so here is... um, Okay, then just real quick, I'm just going to read the rest of chapter 2, just so you see Adam and Eve, um, Eve being created here. Verse 18, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Not, not good for Adam to be alone. And still true for people today. right? We need other people 
You know, it's not a sin to be single, right? But we're connected where we need other people. We you, you go crazy if you're you're the castaway on the island, right? The um, the Tom Hanks movie where he's going, he's got his best friend Wilson, and he's talking to Wilson all day long. We go crazy if we don't have other people. So very important there. Then verse nineteen. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Shame comes from sin. So if they don't feel any shame, what don't they have? No sin, right? They're perfect, they're holy, they're very good. Now that's all about to change. Okay, let's go on to Genesis 3. The fall. Um, The very important section of the Bible. This is like one of the chapters that is worth reading over and over again because there's just so much in here. Let's let's see if we can unpack this here. Uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Quick pause. Who's the serpent? Got a little note in your on your worksheets. The serpent is no ordinary snake. Revelation 20 verse 2 tells us that the serpent is the devil or Satan. Jesus called him the father of lies. So this is no ordinary snake. This is the devil in the form of a snake coming to Adam and Eve. Okay? Um now that, that actually isn't um, doesn't answer everything. Where did the angel? Where did the devil come from? Right? Where did the angels come from? Okay, yeah, God created them sometime in the six days of creation. God created the angels because everything He created was in that six days. Now the Bible kind of later on unravels the backstory that the devil wanted to be the boss in heaven. He was filled with pride, and because of that, he lost his position and was cast into hell. And the hell is a, is a place originally prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't want to send people to hell. But when the devil started working, he started tricking people, making them think that it would be good to come over to his side. And now people suffer the same fate that the, was originally only intended for the devil and the other evil angels that followed with him. So, a lot of backstory there, but just kind of wanted to keep that in mind as we go forward, okay? So, still in verse 1 there. So, the, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, first question here. What, what should have been some obvious alarm bells for Eve at this point. 
Okay, snakes talking, right? Not cool, right? That's one of them. Um, snakes didn't talk in the beginning. Uh, snake is talking. That's an alarm bell. Ding, 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 ding. Problem here. What's going on? And what else should have been an automatic alarm bell for Eve? Okay, questioning God, right? Questions the holy God. The same God that just created everything? Did he really say don't eat from the trees in the garden? Did he really say that? Um, so this should have automatically set off some alarm bells for her. Okay, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So let's pause there and answer some some questions. So what does the devil say to Eve? How is he kind of tempting Eve here? And you might see some parallels to how Satan tempts people today. Oh, you're not going to die. Now, was there some truth in that? Because they ate from the fruit, and did they instantly go... Right? So it's kind of a half-truth. Right? You're not going to die. This is... You're going to... Things are going to be great when you eat this. Right? Just do this one thing, and everything is going to be great. When, in fact, that very thing is what's going to lead them away from God. Yeah? Uh, Those those two were together at the same time? Yes, yeah, see, you caught that too. Eve takes the fruit and eats it, and then she gives some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So Adam's there the whole time. Adam should have been saying, hey, what are you questioning God for? Right? He, He failed in his leadership role as the husband. He failed to be there to with it, with Eve. So that, that's part of it too. So yeah, the devil is straight up lying. He's telling half-truths. Dave? We're also talking about two different kinds of death. Ah, yes. Um, yeah, so in a sense, he's straight up lying to them because the moment they ate of it, they did die spiritually. They, they, they should not even be able to understand physical death. There was no yeah, that was my question. Right, yeah, yep. Yeah, there was no physical death, so... Um, and I'm sure the Lord didn't explain to them something about the spiritual death. Mm-hmm. What, what is that? I mean, there's no conversation about that. Right, yeah. Um, death, well, we'll talk about this in a second. Death is separation. That's an easy way to understand death. Um, so if you think of... Um, a physical death 
You, you, can, you, can, you can add whatever adjective you want to this. So physical death is a physical separation of body and soul. Spiritual death is spiritual separation from God. Um, a uh, spiritual de- eternal death. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. So whatever adjective you want to put in front of death here, the same becomes true for separation. So I, I'm not, I think Adam and Eve being in communion with God, having a knowledge of that, when God said, if you eat of it, you're going to die. Um, I think they would have understood, whether God explained it to them or not, that you eat this and there's going to be a separation between us. Things are going to change. And, and that's what Adam, uh, the devil's trying to lie to Adam and Eve and, and say, well, you're not going to be separated from God. You're going to be like God. You're going to be closer to God because you're going to know good and evil, which again is, is a half truth because now they know good and they know evil, but good becomes the thing they can't do. And evil becomes the thing that they find themselves doing and they're ashamed of it. So it's an ex- experiential knowledge where they, they've experienced evil in a way they hadn't before. Um, and so that's why, again, it's, it's straight up lies from the devil, straight up um, half-truths. He's trying to mislead them and tw- twist God's word too. All of these, these tricks of the devil are things that we see him doing today. That he tries to make sin look good, look appealing. He tries to think that you're, you're going to be closer to God if you do this. Well, in reality, a lot of times our sin leads us away from God rather than closer to God, but the devil is going to twist it. Um, so yeah, all these things are the devil's modus operandi and how he's going to still try and, and trick us. Noel. Um, also, isn't it true that Adam and Eve would not have died if they had continued to follow God's Yeah, if they, if they wouldn't have done this. Sin is what causes death? Exactly, yep. And we're going to get to the consequence here in a second. Yeah, yep. Um, so what is the first sin ever committed? Number three on your sheets. What's the first sin ever committed? Spoiler, it's not that they ate the fruit. Okay. Exactly. Yep, exactly. It's that they're, well, they're doubting God's word. Doubt is the first sin. Doubt. They believe the devil over believing God. So again, it goes back to the word. What does God say in his word? And do we believe it? Do we trust it? Or are we doubting it? Are we, are we distorting it? Um, are we defying God? That, that's, that's really doubt. Doubt will manifest itself in all those ways. Okay, let's look at verse 8 then. This is God's response here to their sin. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God, must, God had this relationship where he would come and walk with them. And, and they were used to this, but now Adam and Eve are going to hide. Uh, verse 9, Then, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We'll have to talk about that last verse more in just a second. Okay, so how does God respond to Adam and Eve? Okay, he knows what's going on, right? Um, so he comes in the cool of the day, kind of like must have been this was their usual pattern to you know hang out with God. And Adam and Eve, like like little kids, they run and hide, right? And then God says, "Where are you?" Does God know where they are? Yeah, he just created the universe. I'm pretty sure he knows where these two idiots are, right? Uh, but what's he doing? What's his response to them? Oh, he's giving them an opportunity, isn't he? He's giving them an opportunity to confess their sin. He's acting like a loving father. What did you do? Did you eat all the cookies? Right? Got the crumbs all over the face. The house is a mess. Uh, what happened here? You know, I'm pretty sure you can figure it out, right? God's the same way. He's, he's dealing in love with Adam and Eve. He's not, he's not actually coming down on them real hard here. Where are you? Uh, who told you that you were naked? He's questioning. He's questioning. Now, you ask a question, it's not necessarily because you don't know the answer, right? So you want the other person to get the answer down. Uh, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Um, so what does all this show? You know, this shows God's love. It shows that he still cares about Adam and Eve. Um, he isn't just, you know, oh, you did it. We're done. Get out of here. You know, he just isn't, isn't just, he isn't kicking them out. He's, he's still showing patience with them and care. Okay, then, um, yeah, he's making it clear, too, that he, he wants a relationship. Now, what are, what's man and woman's reaction? What's Adam and Eve's reaction to all this? Okay, yeah, right. Pass the blame. If it was a woman you put here with me, God, right? It's, it's her fault. And if it's not her fault, whose fault is it? God. God. You put her here, right? So it's a, it's a real uh, jab, kind of a backhanded jab at, um, at God to blame somebody else, to not take responsibility, and that's still, you see that still in our world today, right? Why, why, did, why did this person commit the crime? Well, they had a bad upbringing. Uh, they've, they've got a propensity to alcohol abuse. They, you know, okay. We've all got issues, right? Does that excuse the sin or the evil? Absolutely not. Take responsibility. And this is what God's trying to get Adam and Eve to do. Um. Okay, so when we think about the whole, the whole thing here, whose fault is it that, that this perfect world is now going to be corrupted by sin? This perfect world is going to be filled with pain 
and people biting at each other, and husbands and wives especially, going toe-to-toe here, whose fault is it? Okay, Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. The devil. Most importantly, who is not to blame? Okay, God is not to blame. So, when we think about this, this problem of evil... The Bible makes it very clear that the reason there's evil in the world is the devil and sinful people. That, that's the Bible's answer to why there is evil, why there is suffering, why this world is broken. It's not God's fault, it's ours. It's not God's fault, it's the devil's. And it's not like, oh, the devil made me do it. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he has a hand in manipulating people and, and they willfully go along with him, just like Adam and Eve did here. The, the devil didn't, didn't force them to do this. They had free will to choose and they chose to go with the devil. So, the consequences. Let's read verse 16 here. Verse 16, here's the consequences. To the woman, this is God talking. To the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So we've got pain in childbirth, right? What was childbirth like before this? Eve wasn't pregnant ever, but... We'd have to assume it was pain-free, that having kids was not difficult. Um, And so now, but one of the consequences of the fall is that it is going to be difficult, painful. And then there's turmoil in in the household. You see, the desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So your desire is going to be to rule over your husband, but he's going to throw it down because he's the boss, right? So there's this turmoil within the household rather than the loving order that God created in the beginning. Okay, then verse 17, to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust... You will return. So what's the ultimate consequence here of sin? Death. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now to Adam, the consequence was that he's going to have painful toil. He's going to work the ground. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be this easy life in the garden. Now you're going to be out working the field by the sweat of your brow. You're going to earn this. So, so, um, so which, which, which consequence is worse? For the women or for the men? Women. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> a beautiful moment of bringing life into the world. It's, it's, it's obviously very painful, but it's short compared mm. to a whole lifetime of, you know, labor that he's putting on Adam. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, God knows his children are going to be 
God knows man, God knows woman. Mm -hmm. um, God knows the exact appropriate um, consequence to give to each. Right. So, I mean, which is which worse? Is worse. Yeah, for and and I mean, women are gonna suffer the sweat of their brow too. You know, they're gonna live in this world, and it's gonna be difficult to get food, and um, and and the men are gonna feel the pains of, you know, bringing up children in this world. It's not easy raising kids for men or women. There's gonna be turmoil turmoil in the home that's gonna affect men and women. You know, so so this is just kind of shorthand for all the consequences of this of the fall, uh, the difficulty of work. Um, dust you are, dust you will return. That's the ultimate consequence here, death. What is um, that part where he says your desire will be for your husband who will rule over you? Like, what's really like the meaning of that part of it? That it's the same expression used in chapter 4 when God is talking to Cain, the, the son of Adam and Eve, and God says sin desires to have you, but you must master it. So sin wanted to take over Cain's life, and so that's going to be kind of the turmoil in the home, that the wife is going to want to take over, in a general way, you know, this isn't every wife, but the, the wife is going to want to take over things for the husband, rather than recognizing the order that God has created. That the, the order that God creates is that the husband is the head and the woman is the helper. Not that the woman is inferior or second-class citizen, but there is an order within the household. And sin now enters in this difficulty where the desire is to rule over the husband, but in fact, you know, he's going to rule over you, and you know, it's it's going to be it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be the loving relationship God wanted. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, okay, so other effects of the fall. Um, okay, other effects of the fall. You've got Psalm fifty-one, verse five. Um, say uh, the. <laughs> Psalm here from King David, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So what now is every human being when they come into the world? Sin. Sinful, right? And the technical term for this is, it's actually called original sin. That's the technical term. Original sin or inherited. And not that this is... Um, so it's original sin, not thinking just like of the original sin where they took the fruit, but we talk about original sin kind of infects all of us. It's passed down from parents to kids. Everybody's got it. We're born with it. We're born separated from God. Okay, then Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, and the list could go on. So because we have this original sin on the inside, what comes out of us? What does Jesus say? Okay, the technical term for this is actual sins, where you're, you're actually doing something. So we're, we're born corrupt and sinful, and that's bad enough. That, that condemns us in God's sight. That makes us guilty. We feel shame, even if we didn't do anything. We'd feel shame, feel naked, but then we do actual sins and we feel the shame and guilt all the more. So that, that corruption goes deep 
and then it appears in our lives in actual sins. And then finally, Isaiah 59, verse 2, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So that separation from God is part of the reality now too, that we're born separated from God and our sins only serve to separate us further. So the thought question here. Um, there's a philosophy called humanism, and this is, this is tied together with evolution too. Humanism that says that human beings are basically good and that it's society which makes people corrupt. Who's ever heard that before? You ever heard that? That people are basically good, right? Um, that's, that's the basis of every Disney movie right there. People are basically good. Follow your heart, right? Um, so do you think there's some goodness left in human beings? Or are human beings completely corrupt? Explain your answer. Noel. I'm asking, who is society? What is society? Mm-hmm. What, what is that term? What does it mean? Um, it seems I, like it's comprised of humans to me. Yeah, yep. Human, the, majority, the, the vast majority of people in our world today have subscribed to this philosophy. Media, um, media, the, the university systems, public education, um, um, government... You know, the answer to every problem is education. That if we just give them sex education, then they'll stop having sex and, and um, you know, going through all this, getting STDs. If we, if we give them the right education, then things will be okay. It's the environment that's making them bad. They're naturally good and want to do the right thing. So are human beings completely corrupt? Or is there some goodness left in human beings? There's some goodness left in human beings because people are willing to go out of their way to help other people. Okay. It depends on what you mean by goodness. See, and I, I, th- I like that, that we're not, you know, it's not like most people are just murdering each other in the street, right? Right. Um, so in that sense, okay, there's some, there's some good out there. You see people do good things, but what exactly is good? Right? Jesus said no one is good except God alone. So what is, there's, there's kind of a civil good, you know, like a, a general, this is good for society. And then there's a spiritual good. That spiritually, the Bible says none of us are good on our own that all of us are corrupt to the core on our own. And so from the Bible's perspective, there's no spark of goodness in your heart. Apart from Christ. Apart from your loving Lord. Um, there's no, we're not born into this world wanting to do the right things. Right? We might learn to do the right things, how to be a good neighbor, for example, but we wouldn't know that, especially in Western society. It's kind of, we've been so influenced by Christianity and the Christian church that love your neighbor as yourself is kind of, pretty much everybody knows that. Well, that comes from the Bible. That doesn't come from human nature. You know? So that's where the good, all the good comes from God. 
And we see it in different ways in our lives, but it doesn't start in us. It always starts in God. And this is totally, I bring this up because this is contrary to what you hear in most of our world. TV shows, movies, um, governmental programs, that, that it, it's based on the, the, the idea that people are a blank slate, that they're, that they're a blank slate and its environment makes them bad or bad parenting or bad education. Um, and, uh, but really the Bible tells us that human beings are sinful, separated from God, in fact, hostile to God. That's how we come into this world, hostile to God. So it shouldn't surprise us when little Junior, you know, tells you a lie when he's two years old. You know, it shouldn't surprise us when, when, when a, t- our, a teenager, you know, does something and you think, man, how did they do that? Where did that come from? Well, we all have this inherited sinful condition that we have to wrestle against. And we commit actual sins. So as good as we might be on the outside, we're still corrupt because of sin. Okay, comments, thoughts on that? This is, this is a big point, so I want to make sure we have some time to kind of chew on it a little bit. Yeah, Andrea. You see that a lot when you have little kids. You know, that you have to teach them to do the right thing and teach them what's a nice and a kind thing to do because left to their own devices, they're going to go steal the toy from their sibling and punch them in the face. They're not going to eat their dinner. They're going to, you know, steal food. They're, you know, they're not going to do the right thing naturally. You have to teach them over and over and over again. And until they realize that that's the right thing to do and why they need to do the right thing, yeah. they're going to know what's right and teach them what's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even, I mean, even as they get older, you know, I um, I think sometimes it's good to, to tell somebody, you know, they're wrestling with what they want to do in life. You know, maybe they're in their, their, their teenagers, they're lo- looking at, what do you want to do in your life? Oh, whatever, you know, follow, you know, follow your, your passion, do it, do it interests you. Um, but sometimes we take that to the extreme and we say, like, well, follow your heart. Okay, but my heart is sinful. And sometimes I'm real selfish. So following my heart <laughs> might be the worst thing to do, right? Following God's word. Um, what does God want me to do in this situation? I've talked to way many people, to way too many people in my ministry. I haven't even been a pastor that long. But way too many people in my ministry who, who say, I'm going to follow my heart. <laughs> And leave my spouse. I'm going to follow my heart, and you know, neglect my children. You know, and it's and I can point to Bible passages that say God doesn't want you to do that. But this is where our 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 hearts, in league with the devil, our sinful nature in league with the devil, can do some pretty rough things. Um, so we want to be aware of that. Um, we got to know the sickness too. Got to know the sickness if we're going to go to the doctor. And, and that's what we want to talk about next is what Jesus has done for us. Okay, so let's go to, let's, let's check that out here. Oops. Um, okay, so what does God promise? Number seven. Well, let's go back to Genesis 3.15. What does God promise? So he's talking to the serpent. And he, first of all, he cursed the serpent and said, cursed are you, you're going to crawl on your belly, um, this is going to be a, a reminder for all human beings about the fall into sin. And most cultures on the planet aren't big fans of snakes. I don't know. Anybody a big fan of snakes? 
Anybody like snakes? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not too bad. But um, generally speaking, um, snakes are not the most popular animal. You know, they're not like the puppy that you'd come home and cuddle up with. But um, So that's verse 14. Verse 15, then, is God speaking specifically to the devil. And God says, I will put enmity, so hostility, um, animosity, enmity, between you and the woman. So between you and the woman, Eve, between your offspring and hers. Between, who's the offspring of the devil? Okay, unbelievers, those who want to follow the devil, and Eve, who's a, a child of God here. So there's, there's hostility in this world, right? Between believers and unbelievers. People that don't really want to hear what Christians have to say. And then it says, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So now it gets very specific to a single offspring. And, and literally, in uh, if you look, you've got a little note in your Bible on offspring. It's a letter A in my Bible. And it goes down to the bottom of the page. And it says, seed, the seed of the woman. Women don't have seed. Men have seed. Uh, it's a hint of the virgin birth here, that, that the woman is going to give birth to a child. The seed of the woman, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. If, if you're playing in a sporting event and you crush somebody, you crush the other team, what does that mean? You beat them pretty badly, right? I mean, there's no doubt that you win the victory. So this seed of the woman is going to crush the devil's head, and the devil is going to strike his heel. You ever had your heel struck? You ever like, kind of like like stubbing your toe? You know, like, ooh, ooh. It hurts. It, it might make you feel some pain, but it's not going to crush you. It's not going to wipe you out. So what God is promising here is that in his grace, he promises a savior to defeat and crush Satan. In his undeserved love, his grace, he promises a savior to come and crush Satan. This is the first gospel promise in the Bible. Yes. The cross is the devil striking Jesus' heel. Right? Did, did the crucifixion hurt Jesus? Was it painful? Yeah, yeah absolutely. An immense amount of pain, but it did not destroy him. It did not wipe him out. By the cross, he was actually able to crush the devil. So God's going to unravel a lot of details about this, but this is the start of it. The seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head and the, the, de- the devil now is going to be defeated and the promise is made right here. This is the first gospel promise. And so that actually c- colors everything that comes next. So look, go down to verse 20 now. Verse 20 in, in Genesis here. Adam, after hearing all these consequences of the fall, including death, dust you are into dust you will return, Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve 
because she would become the mother of all the living. Now, Eve, if you look down on the bottom of your page, there's a little footnote. Eve probably means living. So after hearing about death and the sweat of his brow and pain in childbirth, Adam names his wife life because he's got hope of life through the seed and offspring of the woman. He's not, he doesn't name her death. <laughs> he doesn't name her, you know, loser. <laughs> what are you doing? Right? He names her life, Eve, because she's going to be the mother of all the living and through her, this promised offspring will come who's going to restore the fallen creation. So it's kind of like paradise lost <laughs> and now the promise of paradise restored in the Savior is made here. And this is an awesome God. This is God's grace. So we got to keep a realistic outlook about human nature. You know, uh, what am I like? Right? What is self-esteem? Should I have it? You know, to think about some of those things. I don't think it's bad. I, mean, I don't want you to have bad self-esteem. But really, the best thing to, to think about for yourself is that you are a child of God. You are loved by the Lord. And that we don't find our, our worth and our value by staring at ourselves, but we find it by looking to God, by trusting in his word, by seeing how much he loves us, that he would send a savior for us. And so that's going to color and flavor our whole existence here. Um, okay, let's talk about other, other promises that God um, delivers on. Um, number eight, how does God deliver on his promise? Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Uh, but when the time had fully come, everything was ready, everything was right, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So redeem is a word that means to buy back. That in a sense God buys us back from our slavery. We're enslaved to the devil because of our sin, it's like we're in chains and Jesus buys us back to rescue us out of that. Um, 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. So again, specifically making it clear, that connection between the Garden of Eden, Jesus coming, and where we're going to spend eternity. God has destroyed, Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Um, John 3.16 then, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're not going to die. We're not going to be separated from God, but we're going to have eternal life through Jesus. Um, and now the, the last one there, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that God is going to rescue you and me from the devil by putting his own son to death on a cross. That's, that, that's foolishness unless you know about God's love, unless the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and minds. Okay. Um, so, we got this realistic outlook 
Again, kind of thinking about ways this practically plays out in our lives. We already mentioned it a little bit, kids, right? What is my child like? My little angel. All of them, right? Well, actually, spiritually speaking, they come into this world lost, sinners, just like all of us. And so then how do I parent him or her? It's to train them, teach them the truth of God's word and his love. You know, this has, this has great, I mean, great implications for uh, raising children and, and understanding human nature too. Um, what, what can you expect from people? Well, I mean, we want to look for the good in people, right? <laughs> we want to think the best about people, but we also have to be, have to be realistic about it, that they have a sinful nature. Um, and that's why, I mean, our, like our system of government, for example, in America, um, capitalism kind of plays off of people's greed a little bit, but it ensures that, that, that if you're too greedy, you lose. You know, you won't be able to sell your product if you're too greedy. So, I mean, it's a delicate balance in, in, in uh, the, even our system of government that this, this plays out. So, um, then another one with marriage. What's my spouse like? Uh, my wife's not here, so I can say I'm married to the world's greatest woman. <laughs> She's amazing. Tell, tell her I said that when she gets back, okay? Uh, but we're, I'm a sinner. She's a sinner. I'm going to say things that are sinful. I'm going to do things that are sinful and selfish. I'm going to need the same love and forgiveness from Jesus and to know that, that, that I'm forgiven by him and then we can forgive one another within a marriage. I mean, again, a realistic outlook about all this. It flows from a correct understanding of Genesis 3. And, and Genesis 3 actually happened. This is not a fable. I mean, this is one thing that was in the This We Believe um, from last time that we as a church, we reject the idea that this is just a, a story with a, a moral truth. No, this actually happened. There was actually a talking snake. Adam and Eve were real people um, who really went through all this. And that matters because God, God isn't saying once upon a time in a faraway land, right? This is, this is recorded history for us uh, from God. So we want to we want to keep that in mind too. Um, so how do I fix this broken world? How do I fix it? You and I don't, and that's such good news. We don't. God sends His Son into this world to die for this world, to redeem this world, to buy it back for God, and and through Jesus He equips us to live in this world to deal with the problems and the sins that we're going to face, that we're going to commit, and the pain and the turmoil of living in a world that's, that's falling apart. Because sin now, sin also corrupts nature. So tornadoes, hurricanes, all of this is, these are signs of nature in turmoil. And, and I would say that nature, that, that sin corrupts our, our physical bodies. Um, one thing I just heard about is that... Um, that Christians, a survey of Christians, 55% of Christians would not feel comfortable bringing up a mental health issue in their church. You know, saying I'm depressed or I'm dealing with anxiety, that 55% of Christians wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. They, they, they felt like their church wouldn't accept them or help them through those mental health things. 
and and mental health things are they they can be a, a, a kind of the effect of sin. You know that our 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 mental chemistry is even off. It's not the equilibrium isn't there like God wants it to be. Certainly the devil is trying to afflict us spiritually, but I wouldn't just pin it on that. I mean, we wrestle with things in our bodies where our urges or our our thoughts are not all God-pleasing. And so sin can corrupt even our bodies, our physical bodies, and we need we need God to help us through that. But then there's also like medical help, you know, have going to a doctor, seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist, you know, that can be helpful stuff. So so we shouldn't have some stigma with that with mental health issues. We should be able to talk about it and and say, yeah, that's I'm sorry they have to go through that. That is part of this broken, fallen world, and we are here as a Christian community to help you get through that and to love you in that. Um, so I think very important in our, our world today to think about those things. Um, look at that. Just cross it out. Don't, don't do it. Um, okay, so let's. Um, th- this is a good time to have questions. If anybody has any questions, you can write them out on little slips, or there are some from last time that I have in here. So um, see what you think. I'll come around here. Oh, that's the timer. <laughs> Any questions? Any questions? Okay. I got a couple from last time. And if something comes to your mind, too, feel free to share. We got a few minutes here uh, before the end. <clears throat> ah. Okay, so this is on Genesis 2.14. God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Um, were the animals also spe- specially formed? And that's, or 1 verse 19, no. We kind of looked at that. Adam was specially formed. The animals were not. The animals were not specially formed. God just spoke and boom, they appeared. So there is that unique. And Eve then is taken from the rib of the man. And that's, we'll talk about that when we talk about marriage and family stuff. But uh, it, uh, it's interesting that it comes from man's side. So she walks right alongside of him, you know, not from the foot so that man's there to step on her and not, not from the head so that she gets to be the boss, but right alongside companionship. So good question there. Okay, next one. Um, Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Uh, why were they embarrassed or ashamed of their bodies? How did they know to feel this way, uh, the need to cover up? And that would be after they sinned. So they weren't they didn't need to feel shame like their bodies are ugly or something like that. It was just the shame of sin that now they wanted to cover up. They wanted to hide. They wanted to run away from God. And 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 we feel that way too sometimes, right? You do something and you don't want to face that person. You don't want oh I got to see him at work. Oh. You know, you feel that way and and that's where it's good to know that that Jesus has taken away that sin. And he brings us peace, and we can we can we can face one another in love, knowing that that God has forgiven us, and we can forgive each other. All right, everybody's going to tell you what I said about you. So I talked about you when you weren't here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You went to pick up Ruth at the. Yep. Yep. Um, right. 
Okay, here's this one. All right, um, good question. We, we haven't really talked about prayer. We will talk about prayer. But this one has to do with prayer. Uh, when Catholics pray to Mary, is this idolatry? Uh, even though they don't put her above God in their, um, in, in their hierarchy, they don't put Mary above God. But yes, praying to somebody is reserved for God alone. That they, they've created this thing called um, dulia and hyperdulia. So dulia is, is what they give to God. It's, it's like reverence to God. Uh, and they give hyperdulia, like semi-reverence to Mary. So it's kind of, they've created this hierarchy where God is still the top. Mary is, is underneath God. But they pray to both of them and they give them. And in practice, it just, it ends up being that they pray to, they pray to him just like they pray. You tell me how a prayer, you know, Hail Mary, you know, Mother, Mother of our Lord, save us poor sinners in our hour of need. Right? I know that's not the Hail Mary, but it's close. Um, yeah, full of grace, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just those words even, you know, they're, they're praying to her, they're looking to her to save them. And there are prayers where they say like, you know, talk to Jesus on our behalf. Like, she doesn't got any more pull with Jesus. She can't hear you, you know. So it, it does. It is a form of idolatry, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about prayer. But God gets all of our our prayers. He gets all of our praises. He gets all of the glory and honor. Nobody else, just God alone. So, good question. Okay, anything else from tonight that's been on your minds or? You you missed the gospel. You missed the good part. Yeah. Yes. Boom. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then, uh, for next time, there's this language of faith. Just things to keep in mind. The tree of life was in that Garden of Eden, and after Adam and Eve sinned, God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And they, because he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life. And you can read that in the rest of Genesis chapter 3. He didn't want them to eat from the tree of life, because if they did, then they would live forever. And that tree of life was a very special tree. And the next time the tree of life appears is in the book of Revelation in heaven. And there we will eat from the tree of life, and we will never die. So again, the Bible has these great bookends of paradise, heaven, um, and and this future where where paradise is going to be restored perfectly with God forever. Um, yeah. So for next time, feel free to try and memorize a Bible passage, carry it with you um, throughout your week. Second Corinthians five seventeen. And then there's the true false questions, obviously on page four. And then there's this appendix about the creeds of the Christian Church. So the creeds are very important. A creed just means. I believe. So somebody asks you, what do you believe? Christians historically have used the creeds as the summary of what do you believe? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then here's some more specifics. Um, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's just a simple summary of the Bible. So there are three creeds used by Christians all around the world and I just invite you to familiarize yourself with the history on them and uh, read through them and, and just kind of treasure those. Those are great. We use them in worship too, obviously. You might recognize that. But um, 
good to see some of the background on them too. So a little extra reading for next time. All right, let's close with prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you for crushing the devil's head. Thank you for redeeming us and buying us back for God so that we can be yours forever and ever. Lord, when we fall into sin, when our corrupt nature gets the better of us, help us to turn to you and repent and to trust you for full and free forgiveness, for you are our gracious God. Thank you for this time together tonight and watch over us as we travel home. In your name we pray, amen.